We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, my guy, Jack Manuel, and special guest, Doug Nori of Locked On Nets. Guys, how are we doing? Oh, doing great. Man, can't wait to talk Nets. Uh, anytime to talk Nets is good for me. I <laughs> live and breathe this stuff. So any new, don't have to talk to Adam for once. You can talk to some new, <laughs> some new voices. That's, uh, that's just like a bonus. The two most regular Nets podcasts, most content going around and now the words are colliding this is going to be a multiverse of madness sort of thing i don't know what's going to happen <laughs> but i'm going to enjoy it Got a Honestly, first Marvel reference, yeah. yeah nets world needs it you know last night against the heat was not an enjoyable game you know maybe we're at rock bottom we're going to jump to that in plenty more make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms also make sure you check dot check locked on nets on all streaming platforms but jack what do you got for doug um, I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy. No, okay. Let's just get straight into it. The the topic that we have discussed, I don't know for how long. It feels like it's been years, but it's probably been months, but it's probably been days because it just changes so rapidly. Doug, Kyrie Irving, thoughts? <laughs> it was funny about this because Adam and I on Locked On basically had to put a moratorium on ourselves to just like not talk about it over the course of the season. I guess now it's hard to avoid because it seems like something's going to happen. Maybe could have, would have, should have, who knows. But um, I, I, I'm kind of done speculating. Uh, I don't know about how you guys feel about this. It's, it's, it's just such a fool's errand to even speculate on this situation because there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason behind it. And so when you deal with illogical situations, pr- trying to apply logic to them will just make you, I mean, I already don't have any hair, but if you have hair, like you guys do, <laughs> like it would just make you rip it out. So I hold out hope that it's going to resolve itself and he will come back. But it also seems like there's other things at play, i.e. optics or politics or whatever else at this point that make it so that's not the case. So I don't know if you guys feel that way. I mean, I'm trying to like tread the line here. I'm being controversial. I could probably talk about this for a long time. I'm sure you don't want to. But um, yeah, that's where I stand now. It's just like, Hope or uh, cautiously optimistic without really having great reason to be so. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of look at it this way. It's like, I'm not a politician. I'm not a lawyer. I, I don't understand like the mandates from that aspect. So it's just like, like you said, it's just, we're just kind of waiting to see what happens. Who really knows? Feels like there's optimism, obviously, that we're going to probably see Kyrie at Barclays by the end of the year. But at this point, who really knows? Cause it's not like, 
there's a ton of science behind the specific mandate that's going on right now. And I'm not trying to get into one of those conspiracy theory podcasts or anything like that. But like you said, it's just kind of wait and see type of stuff. Well, can I just say one thing about that? Because I actually think we're even beyond the conspiracy piece of it. Like now, even because even if you just read, if you just follow Nets sort of, you know, people that put out their thoughts around the Nets, whoever that be, whether that be media people, um, mostly just media people, right? Whether it's either high level media people or all the way on down. I'm actually going to remove the fans from this. Even if you follow the through line of how people's tones around this have changed, even the people that were the most most staunchly for mandates to begin with, and like we're all for Kyrie's, you know, against Kyrie's choices, let's say, right? Like even those people have changed their tune. And so when that has happened, I, you really have to ask yourself, what what are we doing here? Because I'll, I'll take myself out of it because I, from the very beginning, I thought it was just a ridiculous situation because I just just for a lot of different reasons like the the the, law, the rule didn't have any rhyme or reason to begin with but just just in the in the holes that were in it right there was holes in, in the situation that just made it sort of tough to wrap your head around but just go back to the people that were for it to begin with and they've changed their tune so when yeah. that's the case it really does seem like there's just this sort of avalanche of public perception that it does feel like like you have to ask yourself, what are we doing here? And that's when you just that. And again, I'm I just lost a few more hair strands because I got <laughs> I got myself worked up about it. So I, anyway, that's that's kind of where I, I stand on that. I feel like as soon as Adam Silver came out and said something about it, that's when you're like, okay, like right. Bro, yeah. you've got Adam Silver, you've got freaking Stephen A. Smith. I think that's who Doug might have been alluding to a little bit. <laughs> One of the most anti-Kyrie people with like his tune has changed so much in the national media, and then we had. You know, the Yes Network, and I think Yes Network have been pretty objective and, and sort of probably more probably taking an ownership and, and front office sort of route and sort of giving their thoughts to sort of, you know, feed through the public, you know, atmosphere and such. But look, I, I think a logical is the, the best way to describe it. And, and Doug, obviously, with a, an objective and, and rational lens, something that I don't have uh, often on this podcast <laughs> allows me to sort of process it in a different sort of way. But from a fan perspective, because, you know, we are all fans here. It's just like we want to see Kyrie Irving play more games than not. And it would be good not just for the Nets, but it'd be good for the NBA because Kyrie Irving is just so goddamn good at basketball. We want to see him go out there, put out highlights left, right, and center. And then he's going to be sitting down. Like there have been some awesome tweets from just random people on Twitter and different graphics from like UK Nets fans and um, a heap of other people. And it's just like, let's make it make sense. I think that ultimately... It will. It's just like this Eric Adams bloke who I, I'd never heard of. I've heard his name so often and I know his <laughs> face and voice so much that it's like I dream about it more than I like dream about Nick saying for me to calm down when I'm arguing <laughs> about Steve Nash. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he definitely has got a lot of, you know, FaceTime for especially for Nets Twitter. Like I never knew really much about the mayor of New York City. Like I don't follow that. I don't live there. But now it's like a big deal to me. Look, yeah, like, and, and it makes it makes sense because he's, he's it's weirdly it's so crazy if you think about it that he Adams that is has sort of now become the the the, the face of like sort of Nets ire around Nets fans <laughs> ire around the situation which you never would have thought coming. And one thing about politicians and like uh, I don't think actually this is controversial at all is that, and I, this is why it's totally predictable that this is happening this way is in the political realm when your heels are dug in like the worst thing you can do as a politician is is to undig them. Because they just, that's just, it makes you, there's a, you know, a perception that you're weak or you caved or, you know, you, you kowtowed to a, a, a superstar or whatever, all the other things that would be then written or spoken about you. 
That's why you just never see politicians change their mind about almost anything. So <laughs> I, I, I'm, not, I'm not shocked about it, I, even in the slightest, even if it is sort of oddly infuriating. Oddly infuriating. What else is oddly infuriating is the fact that Joe Harris might have played his last game as a net and your yeah. co-host put it out there, Doug. So I'm going to throw it back onto you, son. I don't know if you guys have podcasted about this yet, but no. obviously we got the, the news from Sean Marks, which was pretty deflating to Nets fans and Joe Harris fans alike. Has Joe Harris played his last game as a net? Am I stealing this topic from you from a podcast that you're going to be releasing on Monday? I don't want to. I don't want to you know, cross hairs. No. <laughs> no, no, we'll put it out here over the weekend. Our, our guys will, and gals will hear this. Yeah, Adam. Uh, Adam said that he his prediction with this was going to be Joe Harris's last. Uh, like that he would now he would no longer be a net. Um, I, I'm like kind of torn on that one. I, I kind of see where he's coming from on this because when it comes down to it, Harris's contract. If there's there's a part where it's like weirdly tradable because mm-hmm. of where he exists in the salary, like in the tier where he sits salary wise, um, where if you like package it together with the one pick they have or something like that from Philly this year, like there's a world where they could either try to flip that into more depth or package it together to like maybe even consolidate stuff at the top. I'm not ready to say it's his last game because I still think he probably has more value to the Nets than he has to most other teams that you would trade him to. Um, And I think like probably that's the only place where I would stop and say like, like who would do it and who would the Nets want to possibly make better in a situation like this? And what would they get back? Like that's the only where I would push back on what Adam said, but there's definitely a world where it happens because the Nets have, the, the way their contract, I mean, maybe you guys disagree with this, but like the way their contract situations are set up special, like specifically for next year, it's actually not going to be that easy for them to reload in terms of like, in, in terms of their depth and the Harris contract plus the pick probably gives them some Avenue. And like, it'd be hard to imagine getting a player more or some more better, geez, a player better suited uh, for, uh, for what the net scheme is when they're all healthy than Harris, because he is just such a sharp shooter. So, I think it's like a coin flip right now. I can see both sides of it. What do you guys think? I mean, do you think that's, that's it for him? Like, or do you think that you see him back? It's like, it's been such a disappointing situation with him. Yeah. I think you nailed it when you said it's a coin flip, because I think it's 50, 50, I think they're going to shop him. There's going to probably be packages that they'll have an option to go after. Maybe somebody becomes available on the market. I think you could argue, depending how this season ends, there might be more urgency to make an upgrade or add a bigger piece. And like you said, Joe Harris's contract is really one of the only bigger contracts to trade. You could package, you know, potentially some of the rookies from this season, see what you could get, maybe turn into something. So I think it's just kind of, there's so many different variables, but I do think he will be shopped just given. I think the Nets feel a little bit more comfortable having a Seth Curry. You know, obviously we don't know what's going to happen with Patty Mills and his player option and stuff like that. So I think it's on the table. I wouldn't, I'm not confident either, either side at this time. Yeah. I don't think I am either. I, I mean, I've had a, a, a very up and down relationship <laughs> with Joe Harris the past sort of 24 months. Yeah. And I think most Nets fans have in, in that respect too, but I think that what we're sort of realizing and seeing without Joe Harris, you know, this regular season is how important he's been on both sides of the floor, especially during the regular season. Postseason is is another question because, yes, Seth Curry is amazing. Yeah, Patty Mills is amazing. Both of those guys, good ball handlers, amazing three-point shooters. But having a guy that's 6'6", 6'7", and just sort of closer to a a small forward than shooting guard type it's just a, a better, more malleable fit in a lot of lineups. And you can have him and Seth and Kyrie. And then you've got Katie at the four and Ben Simmons or Klax or whoever else there. And it's just like, and I think I'll just piggyback, piggyback on what Doug's saying in terms of 
what can you get that's better than that? Should the Nets have made this move already, or had they already tried? Did they already try to do it? We know how, like you know, this is Joe Harris is one of the the last remaining sort of you know players to the the Sean Marks beginning of the Sean Marks Kenny Atkinson era, and what he's turned Joe Harris has turned himself into is a credit to himself and Sean Marks and the entire uh, coaching staff behind the scenes is Sean Marks going to be willing to part with that? You know, we know that there's there is a personal element to the way that teams are made in a lot of respect. That's why. James Harden is going to play for Daryl Morey until he dies and is probably going to be have, have his eulogy at his goddamn funeral. Like, uh, <laughs> let's be honest. But I, I guess I'll ask you that, Doug. Do you think that the Nets should have made this move already? Do you think they tried to make this move? I've seen so many angry Nets fans about it. I think I was somewhat frustrated, but I was frustrated for a lot of things. I think we've all been frustrated <laughs> as Nets fans. Do you, should the Nets have made this move already? You mean trading trading him like at this past deadline? Yeah. Um, I I think they probably tried, and it just wasn't happening. Like it's one of those. It's a terrible situation for a lot of reasons. One, you feel terrible for Harris because he's super easy to love as a Nets fan. Like he's still sitting on the bench. He's there for every game, and obviously he's dealing with this issue. So on, on the one hand, you'd, you'd hate to see him go from that respect. I think they probably did try to trade him, but when you're injured at the trade deadline, it it makes it it's such an impossible situation for the team that. To, to know what they're getting. Like, look at Miles Turner. Like, this, the same situation sort of, I think, happened with Miles Turner in Indiana, uh, in Indiana right? It's yep. like, we just don't know what this, Brooke Lopez, too. Like, maybe those guys were shopped also from these teams that probably would love to have just dumped them and then moved on from them or, you know, in Milwaukee, upgraded to some a safer piece. But when you're just injured at the trade deadline, it's just so hard to know, like, what the situation is for the player. And honestly, if they had traded him, it probably would have looked even worse now for the team that was incoming that that took him on to know that he never was going to step back in the court and then it needed a second surgery. And now it's totally in doubt. So I, I actually probably think they did try to shop him and it just, and I'm sure other teams just looked at the situation and said, it's just such a wild card. And remember too, at that time, they didn't have any other sort of assets to package together with him. Right. Cause like, so it's one thing to take on the risk of Harris uh, with the injury piece and hope that he's, you know, going to be fine, but who's taking him. He's like a weird age. Like, he doesn't, like, upgrade you if you're a tanking team. He really might make you better if you're a tanking team yep. and you don't want that. They're not going to trade him to a contender because they're not going to unload off uh, assets to bring back a, a question mark. So I think they probably just got caught in between. And that's my guess. And it, and and come draft time, it's just a different situation. It's the offseason teams have different goals in mind. Like, they're, you know, they're just – the structure of what they're trying to do is different. So I think it will be easier – so that's where I say I, I really can't fault them I, for not trading him. I only because if I was any other team, I would have said to my fan, like, how could I sell that to my fan base? Trade Joe Harris? Why? Like for what? <laughs> like I don't know yeah. what like, I don't know what I'm getting. So I, that's cool. where it's hard. That's where it's hard for me to fault Marks on, on that in that respect. Yeah, I think when a lot of fans say like, oh, we should have traded Joe Harris, like. First off, we don't know what the packages were that were available, right. if there was anything really reasonable on the table. And like Doug mentioned, like if you're a tanking team, what's the point of acquiring Joe Harris? If you're a contending team and he's not going to play and his agent kind of dropped that, you know, a couple weeks before the trade deadline, that it's kind of unknown what his status would be. And I'm sure that kind of scared some teams away as well. And also, like if there was a deal on the table, do you want to take, you know, 25 cents on a dollar or just wait until potentially the offseason or even let Joe play? and kind of get his value back up because, you know, a couple months next to Katie and Kyrie and possibly Ben Simmons, all of a sudden his trade value at the next deadline is substantially different than what it was this deadline. Okay. So one more thing about that too, like, is that, you know, you were mentioning before about just how he's just a bigger body than what they have, you know, the six, six kind of frame, even though he's not 
no one's going to call him a good defender. But if you look at this current roster, this is exactly sort of what they don't have right yeah. now, too. The bigger they get, the slower they get, by and large. And then and then the faster they get, or the better shooter they get, they just get way too small. And so he just is in that in-between zone. For as, I know he's a really polarizing figure among Nets fans. I think he's more polarizing than he should be. But based on just his overall, how pretty awesome he is at the specific things that he does. But the, he is just this guy that they just don't have. They could really use this specific guy. And I would think it would be very difficult to find this specific guy, even in the offseason, in a, like for the money and everything else. I, I think that, and now I'm talking to myself that he's come back. There you go. I'm going to say he, I'm going to say he's back in the Nets. I talked myself back into it. There we go. That, that's what happens on podcasts. When you chat to mates <laughs> about Nets basketball, you figure things out as you process it. I think Nick's taught, called the Brooklyn Buzz like therapy a million times. Last night I'll it throw, definitely was. <laughs> <laughs> you told me that, my, my guy. I wish I was on it with you. But I'll throw two names at, at both of you. And they're just the ones that sort of spring to mind when we're sort of thinking about like who they're going to go. Where's he going to go? Is it a tanking team? Is it a non-tanking team? The two names that spring to mind for me are Eric Gordon and Jeremy Grant. Now, I think that both of those guys are you know, one end of the one end of the spectrum. You're a veteran guy. You're probably you know is peaking in, at the point of his career of a bit older. Probably fits the Nets profile and sort of that contending sort of thing. Whereas Jeremy Grant is just you know the be all and end all. That is exactly what the Nets could acquire. And obviously, you know, the the Pistons could use a shooter next to Kate. I think that that would benefit him you know immensely. So that's part of why I would, you know, if I'm, you know, Will Weaver, I think his name is, I could talk myself into it a little bit. And at least I'm getting an asset in return if I'm not going to re-sign Jeremy Grant. Do either of those names make sense, Doug? Um, I, well, for starters, I'm actually shocked that neither of them were traded at the trade deadline. I thought there'd be something that would have happened um, more for Gordon. Like, I thought Gordon was, like, a, a lock to get traded. Um, maybe it was, like, the extra year on his contract that made it not want to happen because he doesn't really line up with their timeline at all. So, but th- I think they know that they probably have another year where they could probably get something for him next year, and they'll because they'll just help someone else. So I think and maybe the money was a little weird. Um, I don't. Again, I don't know. It's more about Harris here. Like I just don't know how Harris' timeline. I get that those guys. Well, like Eric Gordon's definitely older. Maybe Grant and, and Harris are the same age, uh, or around the same age. But I think they both would be interesting pieces. I don't, I just kind of don't see why the other teams would do it unless you attach something to it, like the pick, right? Like, and at that point, and it's going to be Philly's pick. I'm just not really sure. I, I think both of them would be, see, the funny, the, the great thing about, and maybe we'll talk about lineups later, but the great thing about the Nets is having Kevin Durant and to a lesser degree Kyrie Irving, it makes it so that nearly every player you ever talk about is a fit <laughs> in, yeah. in a way that like yeah. guys like Embiid and like some other superstars just nece- aren't necessarily, even Giannis to some degree. Like those guys make every sort of player archetype a fit in some way if you just kind of reconfigure the chessboard. So I'm I'd be interested in both to some degree. I just kind of struggle to see why the other teams would do it. I, I, and I think that's kind of where I land. Yeah, I think on the Aaron Eric Gordon front, like I wouldn't be as interested in him. Like just given that I think Joe Harris and him, you know, aren't far off as players and obviously yeah. Like the skill set when the Nets are healthy isn't super necessary. And Eric Gordon for me is just like extremely inconsistent and also not an elite defender. I think I could talk myself into Jeremy Grant a little bit more, especially if the Nets wanted to lean into a more versatile style of basketball, just given his ability offensively and defensively. Obviously, his shooting isn't, you know, elite. He's had some good seasons, though, from three. So I think it would just kind of depend on the Grant front and how much Detroit wants. I think, like Doug mentioned, they're definitely asking for a pick. I think one of the reasons Grant wasn't traded at the deadline is because they want it two firsts for him. And 
it's like it's Jeremy Grant, and then you're also going to have to pay him. Do you really want to give Jeremy Grant a max contract? I'm not sure that you really want to. There might be better options out there. And I've even heard the people talk about, you know, Harrison Barnes as an idea better than yeah. Grant. But I think the Kings are probably going to lean into trying to win right now after the Sabonis trade. So, but that's a whole other topic. And Grant too has mentioned in the past that he just like kind of likes to get his shots. And yeah. if you play and he's been really, I mean, so vocal about that to the point where sort of everyone knows it. And so, and that's why he went to Detroit. He's like, oh, I'll just go, I'll go over yeah. here. And I'll get 15 to 20 shots. And I didn't get that many, but like, I'll get a lot of shots that I never got in Denver. And if that's the kind of thing you want to do coming and playing with these guys is the worst possible scenario because you will not shoot nearly as much as you probably want to. So, I mean, it's not, he's not getting as many shots too playing with Cade because Cade's a huge, like high usage dude too. So maybe he wants out of that situation, but walking into a situation with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, isn't going to all of a sudden open up this like insane usage bump for you Yeah. <laughs> because and so I just, I mean, look, they can get traded wherever and just go resign somewhere, but, uh, I was, by the way, real quick, uh, Grant's 27 and Harris was 30 and uh, Gordon was 33. I kind of muddled through their ages there a little bit, but looked it up while we were talking. You got them all in, in order there. So when, when, you know, we knew the information was coming, Doug. People can <laughs> Google while they're while they're listening along. We don't have to give them all the information. You know, put two and two together, the jigsaw. <laughs> but yeah, I think the, the Joe Harris situation is going to be one that is going to play out in the offseason. And whether, look, I... I looked some stuff up as well, Doug. You're not the only one. I like mm-hmm. to, you know, be on point too. And I think the the lineups with last season with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris. I think most people will know that you know it was pretty good offensively. 123.9 offensive rating in 755 minutes. That is insane. That yeah. is like legitimately insane. So look, I think that if you have Joe Harris now. Obviously, we know what he's done in the postseason, and can he put those demons behind him? You know, yada yada yada. But, you know, when the push comes to crunch, you know, you have Seth Curry out there as well. And Joe Harris isn't the only legitimate spacer or yeah. Paddy Mills. And you've got Ben Simmons playing the defense that Joe Harris needs to, doesn't need to really, you know, have that extra load on that side of the floor either. I just think that if Joe Harris was healthy, you know, a lot more things would be going right for yeah. the Nets. And it's sort of like, you know, you don't know. What James Harden might to... still be a net, honestly. There's, there's, oh, yeah, yes, there's a, probably. There's a, there's a lot of things. You don't know what you got till it's gone. And. I think that Nets fans are hopefully are starting to realize that the value that Joe does have. Any final Joe Harris thoughts from Doug or you, Nick? Um, I think like I could see the Nets wanting to see that lineup that you just mentioned. You know, Kyrie, Seth, Joe Harris, KD, and Ben Simmons as a closing lineup, or just seeing what that can do out there. Because obviously, you could see how it could be really, really impactful with the elite spacing and kind of allowing Ben to cook. Obviously, defensively, there's concerns, but sometimes the offense is just too good. Oh, yeah, I totally really agree. I, I take it back. I take it back. I, you know, and just thinking about that kind of that kind of makeup for a five man unit, especially the closing lineup where you could just really out offense them. Um, and we saw what happens when they went small the other night against Toronto. They, they, you know, they did it two minutes too late, but they still almost came back, <laughs> right? Like yeah, Joe Harris as to one of those shooters, I think, and then Simmons too. And I think, yeah, you can really start picturing how lethal it would be. So, and I, yeah, I think I would. Yeah, I think bringing back is probably the probably the move. Speaking of Ben Simmons, I've got all the segues today. I, Nick, can I host from now on? <laughs> and, and look, maybe it's just the Doug Bean here just give me a new vibe. In, in, speaking of Ben Simmons, we also did hear Sean Mark speak about him and say that there is no timetable, but Ben Simmons is weeks away from playing for the Nets. Obviously means he's probably not going to play against his former team on March 10th, I believe. Uh, Doug, how are you feeling about this, again, ever-evolving Ben Simmons situation? And be careful because he is Australian. 
<laughs> yeah, I know that. Is, it, is he full? He's not full Australian, though, right? Like, is that, no, like, no. I, go 50, he, I can go fifty percent on this one or something like that. Yeah, yeah it's like if you like you're insulting Paddy Mills, it's just like okay, well, you can insult Paddy Mills uh, less because of his strong <laughs> you know, indigenous ties to our country. But Ben Simmons, he's sort of. I've called him a fake Australian before, but he, I'm not doing that ever again. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Anyway, obviously... That was pre-Nets days. <laughs> Pre-Nets days, exactly, when I was doing other podcasts in general NBA podcasts. But. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. This is just a, this is a weird one. I, I don't know how to feel about it. How do you feel about it, Doug? Well, if there's one thing you can trust, it's uh, Nets injury timelines. Like, so I think that uh, I think I think there's one way, there's something that we can just kind of look to and use as like compass true north. Um, it's when they, the Nets say something about an injury, and it just happens right. I don't, who knows? I don't know. Like, I I think that I here's my take on the situation um, from a just sort of guessing around the tea leaves of what these guys put out there. I think that there was no world where they were going to bring him back before this Philly game to start. Like there was just no, even if he was the the pillar of health, like they were not going to do it because it's sort of fraught with peril around what's going to happen when he goes back in there, the fan reaction, the player reaction, who knows? Like that situation was a dumpster fire, obviously. So I think there was no world where he was going to go back into the Philly thing. But in the turn, you know, I mentioned optics before, if he came back the next day and played against New York, that would look weird too, because yeah. that would be like, oh, you were just avoiding Philly. So I think that, and I'm going to, 
if he's really hurt, he's really hurt. And I'll just, I'll, it's a, I'll do a Mia culpa all day long. I just have no idea. I, it's just the, the thing is just so um, oddly timed and the words they use, like it's weeks or it could be this. I think they're just, my, my guess is they are leaving the door open to say, we're not exactly sure. It's not going to be Philly. It's not going to be the next game. We give it a couple weeks from the time that he said it. They, Mark said it, which was a couple days ago. That lands you somewhere around Orlando or Dallas on the 15th or 16th, right? Like that Orlando game would be a real soft landing in yeah. Orlando. <laughs> Kyrie's playing like, I don't know. The, can't imagine Orlando crowd really dialing it up with the frothiness around wanting to get on Ben Simmons. And so I just think that they carefully chose their words so that the optics would look better. And if he sits and then if he sits out from now to the end of the season, then I guess he was really hurt and my bad. Right. Like, but no matter what, he's probably going to get dragged when he does come back. <laughs> but I think that's just my guess around it. It's like, let's leave the timeline a little open. Let's not give any hard dates. We're not going to just say, you know, send them to Philly. What are you nuts? Like, they're not going to say something like that. And I think that's where I, does that make sense? I, I, that's kind of where I landed on all this because I just can't trust anything they say. Uh, from a dates perspective, but all the other sort of pieces around this sort of line up around why they would be talking like this. I think it's a, f a fair theory. Like, I think that's definitely possible. And I think even maybe it's a combination of like he tweaked his back and then he was set to return right before that Philly game and not getting any rhythm. And they don't want to put him in that situation where right. maybe if he was able to come back like fresh out of all-star break. And maybe if KD was ready earlier, too, because I think Jack and I were both pretty adamant that Ben wasn't going to play until KD was ready because, they, like you mentioned, they want to give him a soft landing. Yeah. So, I mean, I also will say, as someone who's dealt with a back injury, definitely really easy to re-aggravate it. And he could have easily just kind of ramped it up too hard, hurt the back, then had a rehab. And now it's kind of set up that his week back is the week of that Philly game. And you don't really want to put him in that situation because you want him to feel really confident when he gets back on the floor. So, I mean, it could be a combination of the Nets protecting him. I think it's also interesting that, you know, obviously there's been clutch leaks yeah. because Ramona Shelburne, uh, Wendy, like both people reporting on, obviously connected to clutch. So there's a little more to it than what we're getting, obviously. Yeah, look, by the way, I, I want to just couch this by saying, I, I'm not like trying to say he, like he's faking it or anything like that. That's like sort of not the point I'm trying to make. I, I, I believe that everyone says that they are the thing they are. All I'm saying is there's other context around the yep. situation and we have a team that has just been just the stone nut worst at this for <laughs> multiple years when it comes to reporting. it. So you just can't, it's only the Nets fault that you really can't take it at face value. I, that's actually who I kind of blame because I, they just haven't, I don't think they purposely lie. Um, I just think they don't have to give all the information and they don't, and that's the prerogative. And so, oh, you know, away you go. But when that happens, folks like us that are going to talk about it, simply can't take it for face value either because you've lost the opportunity to, you've lost the you've lost the sort of the high ground when it comes to the truth around injuries when there's just been multiple situations like that. yeah the so, benefit of the doubt i think yeah. i like one thing that instantly pops in my head is just like the alan crab injury from a couple yep. seasons ago jack and i were at barclays and it was just like he randomly didn't play a game knee soreness knee soreness next thing you know surgery out for the rest of the season and like no one had any idea that was really going to happen and that could be the case with essentially anything and even the fact how they've been so quiet on the joe harris stuff like we've had more reports from outside sources rather than the nets on their own player who's yeah. obviously out with injury
Kyrie's shoulder two years ago, yeah. right? Like it, like it was the same exact thing. That it was, was like, he's going to need one, surgery yeah. or he's not, or he's going to play through it. I oh, done for the season, right? Like it's, it, it's, it's really just almost every single time. And so that's the only reason you just can't. And, that, that, and then maybe in some ways that does Simmons a disservice, right? Like, because yeah. it, it does him a disservice around understanding what the truth is because you've been, you know, I don't want to say it's not shady. You've been, you've, the, the truth has been clouded in times before. And so now you just, like you said, the benefit of the doubt doesn't exist anymore. I mean, the, the Nets wear a gray uniform, so there's certainly <laughs> shades of gray. Clean. I don't know if it's 50 shades, but there's maybe 48. But I think that it's weird because you guys are speaking about names and you know, situations, and you know, the Nets are an incredibly player-centric organization. That's always been the case ever since they were trying to establish their culture when Sean Marks came in. Once the superstars came, it's all about, okay, no matter who you are, we are going to do everything that is you know, going to benefit you. You know, we, we don't need to say anything. You know, we don't care about the fans. And that's fine. Yeah. That's their prerogative, like you guys have mentioned. Funnily enough, I think Kevin Durant is the only one where it seems to me it's just like, Katie's like, yeah, just tell him. I've got a couple more practices and I'm good to go. And we get the news and it's pretty sort of straightforward. But I think that sort of aligns with just Kevin Durant. It's like, yeah, I don't really care about the BS behind the scenes. I don't need to announce it on my podcast or whatever. Yeah. But he, yeah, so I think that that's one thing where it's just like, okay. But... I think Ben Simmons' situation is uh, look. Uh, he's been dealing with the back injury for a while now. Like it was, it was reported at the start of the year when he started to like actually go to the Philly training facility and stuff. And then obviously he's dealt with it for extended periods as well. So you know the legitimacy to it is probably yeah. There's probably at least an element of soreness there when you don't do something for an extended period of time. As guys that are around their thirties, you know we don't need to be ball ref Doug that you know the ages of, of myself, you and. And Nick here, but you know, backs start to hurt. And you know, this is a guy that <laughs> they have on a, a contract for a very, very long time, and they are going to make sure that he is going to come back in the the best and fullest version of himself. If he does come back, you know, around the time that Doug was alluding to, he would be playing 14 games for the Nets before the end of the regular season. Is that enough, Doug? Um, I mean, enough for what to win the yeah. championship? I, like, I, I guess, I, I guess, it's, it's enough, Openly I guess, ambiguous questions are the best questions on a podcast. <laughs> well, it's funny too because I, 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 I guess we only really think in terms of championships at this point. So I think from that standpoint, if that's the barometer by which all net success is going to be measured from here on out, then um, I think it's probably enough. I, he hasn't played in a long time. It, you know, the intensity obviously ramps up physically in the playoffs to the point where you really can't. I, it's probably very, very difficult to ramp up the dreaded ramp upward, uh, the ramp up in the playoffs. So, I mean, does 14 games get him to a max minute load? It's so hard to know. Like, because on one hand, you have Kyrie Irving, who seems like he could sit out from now to like the next presidential election and then play 40 minutes and, yeah, and yeah. play 40 minutes and be totally fine. So, I, like, who knows? <laughs> Some of these guys are just built differently. And then you have other players like Mike Conley, where it's going to take him a full season to get up to 30 minutes. I, like, it's just, the situations are just so different. Um, I would suspect it's enough. I think that the physical load on him on the offensive end wouldn't be such a bear for him that he wouldn't be able to probably play a decent amount of minutes. He's got like the long rangey body. It's like not going to be physical to the sense of like, you know, down in the blocks and stuff like that. But I don't really know. I just, I, I it's, you know what, the, around the championship piece, I think that team is good enough to make a legitimate push. I still probably wouldn't put them at the favorites. And I'm not sure if like the 14 games or 10 games would make a difference on like where I land like that. So I think that's kind of, I'm, I'm definitely hedging my bets with this answer because this whole season has been a big hedge, but I, that's, 
I think they'd be enough to get a good sense of what they are as a team. I don't think it would be good enough for me to think that they were all of a sudden the favorites if he was if he played 14 games. Yeah, I mean, I think 14 games is getting close to the cutoff. Like, you want him to be able to kind of get some type of feel. He does have a unique skill set. You know what I mean? And he, and he hasn't played all season. You know, it's not like he even played 10 games for Philly had any type of NBA action. So, you know, 14 games is enough. I think for, like, the Nets and their championship run, it's just kind of a combination of, like, are they able to create enough synergy and style of play and have an idea of what they can do successfully? The Nets have a style of play, Nick? Oh, I didn't well, even know that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't. So, like... 14 games is that enough to do it maybe like it's a potential like there it just feels like this whole season has been potentially that could happen you know what i mean potentially Kyrie could play at home potentially you know the big three would win a championship from brooklyn it's just like a ton of what ifs and that's just another element i'm not ruling out the fact that it could happen but would i bet a ton of money that it will happen probably not because it just feels like anything that can go wrong with this team goes wrong so at this point why am i going to have confidence that ben's going to be able to come back they're going to find that perfect synergy and win a championship could it happen it definitely could they have enough talent but it's just hard to imagine it with so many different variables and so many different things and i hope it does and i hope you know it ends up being the most painful regular season we ever experienced just to get a championship yeah i put out a while ago that you know no eighth seed has ever the best eighth seed is i think the new york knicks to make the finals in somewhere in the 90s and Houston Rockets as the sixth seed um, in, uh, somewhere around the nines, I think, as well, were the only team that low to win a championship. In terms of just looking at it, it is a, I answering my own question, I guess, I think that Ben Simmons is a smart enough player to just fit in. And I think the Nets are just a sort of vibes team. You know, they mm. just sort of go, yeah, like just put the ball in Ben Simmons' hands. He's going to be smart enough to make some really clever outlet passes. He's going to run the floor. He's going to get easy buckets. He's going to just, you know, lock in on guys. He's one of the better defenders in the NBA. So I think that just fitting in for Ben, it's not like he has to adjust some Golden State Warriors, old school San Antonio Spurs style of play. He doesn't need to, like, you know, read up on any playbooks or whatever. It's just like, go in there and just play basketball, Ben. And Ben is really good at that. I think that we've forgotten about it a little bit, especially in the regular season. Come the playoffs, whether the scouting and, and the, the honing in on offense and half-court offense and all those sort of things, that's when things will change a little bit. But 14 games, I think, is enough. You know, you give him you know, three or four or five games, playing 25 minutes or so, ramp that up to 30, then you get into the, the mid-30s and high-30s. I think Ben Simmons is good enough to, you know, and, and good enough an athlete. Like, just even seeing him now, we've seen, like, you know, the bridge sort of stuff. We've seen little photos here and there. He looks to be in great shape. He is a, a hell of a specimen in terms of like, you know, 6'10 and just an absolute monster of a man. So I actually think that it, it could work out. You know, But again, work out in, in what sense, like you guys were alluding to, there are many sort of ways that it, it could work, quote unquote, work out. But I guess it sort of relates to the next thing I'll ask you guys. The Nets panic meter. Where is the panic meter right now? On here, you guys can take it where you want. I put it on the Google Doc that five should be the highest because five is a higher number. But one to five, Doug, where, where's your panic meter levels right now for the 2021-22 Brooklyn Nets? Okay, so I'm going to give two numbers, um, and I'll explain why. So I have two separate – because I now have two separate goalposts that, I'm try that, I'm, that I have in my mind when it comes to the Nets. In terms of panic meter about them winning the championship, it's like the highest. I think that based on the expectation that I had at the beginning of the season where I thought they would probably just like walk through the regular season and then kind of not walk into the finals, but um, like it would be – they had a, a, dominant like run. a pretty clear – Yeah, like I, I, I felt very, very confident about it. Um, and the receipts on some of the tweets that I sent about that look real bad in retrospect. <laughs> but um, so I would say there it's a five. 
But then there's a separate one where it's just like making the playoffs, which I never even thought that I would even be considering. And I would put that at like a two and a half, three, which I can't even believe I'm saying that right now based on like the minus 10,000 they were or something like that to begin the season to make the playoffs. And now by some outlets who I kind of trust around this, like 538, have them at like 53% to make the playoffs. And so now I think there's two separate panic meters. It's almost like the one is just the house money meter is the championship. And then there's the panic meter, which is now where you're sweating out every single one of these games, like this game against Miami, which was a totally winnable game and they lose. And it just kind of digs this hole a little further and further. I mean, Toronto lost while we're recording this. um, So that was like a little bit of a help. Uh, but, but in general, I so saw, I don't know, does that make sense? Like to have, yeah. I sort of have two, I have two separate gauges that I'm monitoring off of the, 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 the day to day gauge is the playoff gauge. Like the, the playoff panic meter is my game to game one. And then there's like the, the macro one, which is the championship one. So that I kind of, that's why I wanted to get two numbers. Yeah. I think that's pretty spot on. I'd agree about the panic meter for the championship at a five. I think the day-to-day one, it almost feels like it's like going up game by game. Almost yeah. like after you know the Raptors game, you lose by one, and then you're like, oh, we get the Heat. Katie's back. Butler's out. Tucker's out. Lowry's out. Like, man, this is a game we definitely could win. Help build momentum. And the team just doesn't have like the urgency. Like they just don't have like that extra gear. Like I expected them to just turn it up at some point in that game and either take the lead or just like show some level of like fight that they just didn't show. They maybe turned it up like what Bruce hit that three when they were down 12 and got it to nine. Like they turned it up at that point in the game, but there was the whole second half. They weren't there. So I'd probably say like my day-to-day meters at three with the potential to keep getting higher because like, I just don't know what's going on. And Kyrie could come back and Ben could come back. And then all of a sudden it goes to zero and I have no panic because they're so good. But until we see that happen, it's I think fair to be concerned because there's also roster issues right now. Like their best, like you mentioned earlier, their best players are either, you know, KD, obviously, but then you have a whole bunch of small guards and then you have a whole bunch of bigs that really can't play together. And then you have a coaching staff that doesn't look really confident in getting these guys to gel or putting them in the best position to succeed. And they're also like unwilling to make adjustments at times when you really need them to. That's totally right. And look, where the Nets stand right now, they're 500, obviously, as we're recording this. At it's so crazy to say that I in know. a season. Like, you would think 500 maybe to start the year, like four and four. And then from that yeah. point on, never again. No, exactly. we, did a, we did a lockdown roundtable like last week on the whole network. And they grouped, they grouped the teams by where they sort of were with the seedings. And we got, I, I got put in with a playing group and I just yep. basically looked at everyone and said, what the hell, hell am I doing here? Like, this is yeah. crazy that I'm with this, like what we with Charlotte and Toronto, like these are the teams, Atlanta, like, well, this is not the group that that should be in. And then that's like the, you know, where you get totally flabbergasted around this season. And I think, you know, for the most part, Nets folks have just kind of been in this treading water. It's okay. When KD gets back, yep. we'll get, start winning games. Okay, KD came back and Miami gift wrapped the win and they lost. Right. So it's the, they could not have put that game on a platter anymore. Yep. 16 point lead. The two guys that can kind of like take Durant to task, especially like PJ Tucker. And then they're arguably their best player in Butler, no matter, you know, depending on where you rank them. But like that game was absolutely gift wrap at home and they lost. And so that's where you they kind of say to yourself, what? on earth is going on here and that's where you get that's what the you accuse of the panic meter goes up like it was at a two before that game it was at a three after because i'm you just translate this out over the rest of the season like what are the, what is going on yeah and funnily enough the the hawks are, and trey young are playing pretty goddamn well and they're only like half a game behind yep. us so the nets yep. could drop you know to the ninth seed and they won't even have 
you know, maybe they don't want home court advantage because of what happens with Kyrie. But I don't, you know, in, in saying that, you know, the Cavs are losing games as well. Thank you, Philadelphia, for, you know, taking the fat bloke away from us and also beating the Cavs. <laughs> that also benefits us too. So there's just, it's weird. We would think that, it, I think all of us probably thought that at the start of the year that the Nets would generally control their own destiny because, you know, you can't control external factors and whatever. But now the Nets are relying on results around them. And, you know, the Raptors, obviously, you know, you know, Doug mentioned, you know, how they're going of late and, you know, we couldn't beat them, you know, at all. So it's just, it's just so goddamn weird. And I, I guess in saying that, Doug, is it as he, I guess I'll probably throw the question that sort of nicks throughout there into the ether. And I'll, I'll, I'll make it a two-parter because two is always better than one. <laughs> one, what is the Nets' biggest problem? And two, is it as easily solvable as having Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, and Kevin Durant fit and firing? Yeah, the biggest problem has been availability. I, that's just been the that's been the problem all season. Whether, but and it's but it's funny because you can it's availability around all pieces, all aspects of the situation. So it's like the max mandate with Kyrie that he's yeah. not available. Kevin Durant getting injured, uh, he's not available. The COVID situation that kind of hit most teams, I'll throw that one out because it hit most teams equally, I'll say, except for the Suns, um, it seems. And so the in general, that one, maybe that one comes out in the watch. Uh, then you have James Harden's availability because he's kind of injured slash doesn't want to be on the team. So he's not available. Now you have Ben Simmons who's not available because he's, let's just say, he okay, he is injured, right? And then you have Joe Harris is not available. The whole problem has been availability. It's yeah. just been this absolute, one in a million situation where everyone just for all different reasons wasn't available. And maybe some of it was a cascading situation with Harden and, you know, injuries happened to every team. So whatever. And you, you know, we picked the one city with the one guy who didn't want yep. to get back vaccinated. Right. Like for, he just didn't want to. I, in whatever. the two year span, there's a pandemic in this lifetime. <laughs> Again. Right. Exactly. Right. In this one, right. In this one time, this get like once in an every other generation, kind of every five generations kind of thing. And so it's just been a full on availability situation. You solve it by making everyone available. It's just like, that's, that's just the solution. I think that's the only, I, I actually think that's the only thing keeping Nets fans from just driving it off the cliff. Right. <laughs> it's like, if it wasn't because otherwise, there would be you would have just either found probably found a new sport or a new team at this point because uh, like it's the old it's just it's the hope of availability that keeps the team relevant now and it's also the thing that you just can't solve in any real way it's like it's not a coaching change it's not a stylistic change it's not anything it's just like hey if the guys can play they'll be good if they can't play they're gonna look like this and that's kind of the story it sucks but i mean maybe that's like underselling it some of these other teams do a little probably a little better job with the role-playing piece and, and winning some games. Like we just saw the heat beat the nets because they made schematic changes that just really stymied the team. And that was almost a hundred percent coaching and style and scheme. Um, so maybe I'm, you know, not taking it to the coaches to task enough here, but I do think availability is the biggest problem, but they have failed to make adjustments at times. And they probably have not done enough to get the most out of a system because it, like you guys said before, they sometimes just don't have a system. Yeah. They I think have- that, Outs- okay. I'm going to throw this to you because I'm not going to let you give the same answer as Doug. Outside of availability, <laughs> what is the Nets' biggest problem? Because I think that, you know, the the hope there, it's it's sort of another Marvel reference. It's it's Hawkeye. Don't give me hope. But in in saying that, you know, you alluded to on, on the previous buzz with Justin of, you know, the coaching issues and, you know, Goran Dragic just coming out and saying, you know, we've got some guys playing zone, we've got other guys playing drop, we've got other guys playing hedging and, and doing all these different sort of schematic style switching outside of that, what are the Nets' biggest problems? 
Well, I just want to touch on what Doug mentioned real quick, and I will give you a real reason. I think, like, also the injuries and the lack of availability is a real reason for them not to be successful because, like, what team is going to be good when you subtract two of their top four players, you know, over the span of a year or two of their top three? The Boston Celtics a couple of years ago when they had all their young blokes and Kyrie Irving when Al Horford were that that was like the only team that comes to mind when you when yeah. people think about that. Yeah, you're right. Actually, they did have success and they were arguably missing their one and two. But I mean, even for the Nets missing their two and three, and I think this team is more big three designed. You know what I mean? Like they're your playmakers. We talked about in the offseason. There wasn't even a backup point guard this season. Like, it was James Harden. You assume Kyrie would kind of stagger and take those roles with Kevin Durant. Like, Goran's the first guy they've had after James Harden that can r- literally run the show. Patty can't do that. That's not really his game. And then, you know, Cam Thomas was a rookie the whole year. But I think the the other reason probably a lot has to do with just the style of play and the coaching. But I think their scheme and their style is so designed to be effective when you have three of the best offensive players in the world. You know, you have James Harden, you have Kyrie Irving, you have Kevin Durant. Like, you go into the season knowing those guys are going to give me an elite offense. You put those three on a team, they're going to be a top-five offense, and then we have all these role players that can complement them. They weren't necessarily prepared for any of the issues that hit them. There wasn't necessarily, like, a backup option or somebody who could kind of fill in that role and play, you know, a playmaking or a creation type thing. Like you look at those three guys at the start of the season, like who else on the roster was really creating for themselves? Like anyone come to mind? Not really. Like, no, there's not really any other playmakers. Like Patty's a guy that runs off ball. You know, you, he, he's more of a compliment. Maybe you could throw LaMarcus in there. And I think also when that's the case, and then you lose those players that are able to create and do so much for you. And you don't have a scheme or a style that allows players to create an advantage in another way, you know, like heavy dribble handoffs or just constant motion. You know, what we saw Miami do yesterday, like Miami just ran a million dribble handoffs with Bam. They put their best shooters on the floor. They put a lot of pressure on the defense to constantly defend everybody. And the Nets couldn't do that. And I think some of it too is like, a shot at Sean Marks, the roster construction's not super ideal. Obviously, when you have three elite offensive players, that covers up a lot of those things. But I think the idea of a lot of these names made sense. But the fact is, a lot of them weren't capable of being paired together. Like the big man room alone, like Paul Millsap, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin. Those are three guys that never could really take real minutes on the floor together. Like that was Claxton. never going to be effective. And Claxton, I think Clax has a chance to play with those guys and be effective. But the other three wasn't the case and i just think there's there's probably with the whole james harden thing there became more of a chemistry issue too like they're just the vibes weren't great for this team and the vibes still don't really feel amazing yeah it's weird because i think that you know you roster construction and coaching i think both of those sort of play into each other and availability plays into the fact of chemistry and, and being able to like you know understand each other's rhythms and then those sort of things and you know KD seems to be pretty confident about the fact that you know he was enjoying playing out there with Drummond and Curry and, and Dragic so I'll go back to how KD's feeling you know, overall but yeah I think some of it is is certainly roster construction you know having like a, a Tyler Johnson or you know obviously Jeff Green wasn't going to come back because you know Patty Mills is, is basically in his place but you know just going so all in obviously the Nets don't have Javon Carter and DeAndre Bembry anymore but just I think that I always just sort of hark back to well, you know, what Bob Myers, I think, said at like a Sloan conference or something. It's just like you want to have basketballers, you know, guys who can just play, go out there and, and play hoops. And and I think that the Nets have you know, just a lot of limitations in, in, in their More rotation. specialists than like overall players. Yeah, and yeah. I think Bruce has gotten back to being more of like a basketballer. Yep. You know, he's just sort of like confident in his floater. He's taking some threes. He's attacking the rim. He's playing solid defense. You know, he's become a semi-two-way player. 
But, you know, the Nets aren't going to be relying on, on Bruce Brown to be the third or fourth best player uh, when it matters. You know, you need your, your superstars for that. So I guess that, that that's it all plays into each other. It's this weird cycle and synergy of, of negativity and awesomeness. Uh, awesomeness, <laughs> obviously, in a, in a negative fashion. But uh, we sort of touched on the, the standings and stuff a, a little bit, Doug. And, you know, we said, you know, as, as it stands currently... It is Raptors at the seven seed. They would face the Hornets in, in the plan, and we would face the Atlanta Hawks. Do you have a preference, you know, if the Nets are to make the plan, which is probably more likely than not, unless something miraculous were to happen and maybe miracles can happen for us. You know, it's, it's not Christmas anymore, but, you know, maybe Christmas in, in March might happen. What is your preference of who the Nets were to face in, in the plan? Is it the Cavs? Is it the Raptors? Is it the Hawks? Is it the Hornets? Is it the Wizards who have always been a notorious sort of net stifler and they're sort of you know winning a few games here and there? Where do you stand with that? Well, the the Raptors just re, uh, reported that Fred Van Vliet is without a timetable return. I, so yeah. I'm actually curious about where they're going to go in the standings here. They looked awful uh, tonight, um, and so they're starting like Malachi. But wait, I mean, they were able to beat the Nets, so no worries there. But um, what does that say though? <laughs> against other teams, yeah. Um, I know I you hate to go against a Nick Nurse coach team because you know talking about schemes and guys that can get the most out of just sort of whatever personnel they have. Um, that is like the last coach I'd want to see in this tier. But in terms of a personnel team that is like really actually starting to lose the guys that can like create and make shots, the Raptor and they lost OG Ananobi to a uh, broken hand. So they're a roster that's sort of going in the wrong direction. So I think from that standpoint, I probably go them right now and then followed by the Hornets just because they've been really bad without Gordon, Gordon Hayward. I don't know when he's coming back. Um, it's just a young sort of like flawed roster the way they are. I, I definitely would not really probably want to face the Hawks. Like I don't, I, the Hawks have sort of been treading down here weirdly for the whole season, like mostly healthy, but kind of bad, but look like they might be kind of turning a corner. So I think among this group, among the teams that seem like they're headed in the direction, I don't want the Nets to face them. I would probably say, I don't want to face the Hawks right now because I still think that a fully healthy Nets team like boat races them. And so I'm not t totally worried about it, but if having to choose between those groups, I would say not the Hawks, mostly based on the trajectory of the other two teams. I think also you look at the Hawks, they're a team that could just catch fire in one game sample size. Like yeah. they have that three point shooting where they could shoot 45% from three, even though I think the Raptors did that against the Nets anyways, but that was more of a kind of an outlier game. I think after, I think you'd want to probably face the Hornets the most, obviously going to Toronto, the fact that Kyrie still can't play is concerning. So I think Hornets would be at the top of my list. And like you said, I, I probably wouldn't want to face the Hawks just given that they could just pop and the Nets have had issues with them at times. Yeah. I think the Nets have had issues with them. I, I remember I don't know why this quote. They lost stays. all these teams this year, I think. Except yeah, no, Hawks. that's true. You know, it's it's not a good matchup either way. But you know, obviously, extenuating circumstances for a lot of them. You know, the Nets and the Hawks had a, a pretty awesome matchup where we saw Kevin Durant nuzzling Trey Young uh, for periods uh, towards the end of the game, and there was a bit of trash talk. That was a lot of fun. So I think that would be the, the casuals would love that the most. I think the Nets fans NBA would, would love that. The oh, NBA yeah. would absolutely love it. It'd be so goddamn marketable. Uh, but in saying that, you know, Kevin Durant has said, I'm, I, again, this is a quote that weirdly stays with me about John Collins being, you know, the best slip man when it comes to slipping roles in the NBA. And the Nets are not good defensively when it comes to players like that. And John Collins is just a, a matchup nightmare. Trey Young is an all NBA. He's, he'd be on first or second team all NBA as a guard. He's been absolutely sensational. And, he, you know, the Nets, I wouldn't want to have to guard him, you know, throw Bruce on him. You know, he might foul out and, and who, who you got outside outside of that to sort of 
you know, guard him. It'd be insane. And I think that they're one of the best offensive teams in the league, but they're also one of the worst defensive yep. teams. So it's just like, it's probably going to be 140 to 145. Um, it'd be a lot of fun, but I think it would be very, very stressful. So look, hopefully the Nets can make the sixth seed. And, you know, given the what's going on with the Raptors and the Cavs are, seem to be heading downwards and, and they seem to have a, a few injuries here and there with Darius Garland, but, you know, he seems to be okay. Um, but ultimately it'll be an interesting sort of couple of weeks, you know, for, for many, many a reason. Doug, in terms of the new additions, have you, into Andre Drummond, Goran Dragic, Seth Curry, anything that surprised you about them? Anything, just general chatter about these three new additions in the Nets rotation? Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought they've all been, they've probably been as good as you probably, I mean, Drummond's kind of tailed off, but the I think they've been sort of everything and a little bit more of what you thought you were going to get. Curry has given a lot more. He was He was bad the other night. I think he got in his own head. I, he had that wedgie shot and he got blocked twice. And I think he was like a little shook by the end of the game. But uh, in general, what he's given you, he's much more of a three-level scorer than I realized he was. Like, that's just the perfect thing that the Nets could use because it's great on the catch and shoot, but can also work his way mid-range if the closeout's there. So I think that in a way that like guys like Harris can't, right? So I, there's, uh, there's a situation with him that he provides something, even for what you lack with him on the defensive end, he does provide something offensively um, that just does complement, and you know, even and the shot clock stuff, you you feel fairly confident with it. So I, I that that was a total A plus to get him thrown into that trade, uh, and then Dragic, uh, you know, with him I actually thought it was pretty interesting. The other night, he was the first guy outside of the big two that was really able to turn the corner on defenders. Actually, one of the main reasons I think Miami went like more zone, uh, like as the game went on, was because he actually was able to create off the dribble and beat for the first defender fairly easily at times uh in the game which i was kind of surprised about maybe it was like the young young legs the, the legs that haven't been used that much this season um and that's another thing that they really needed is like you said on ball creation that guy you said mills is not that's not in his bag really at all and they you know you when you went back to how they didn't have a backup point guard this is the kind of the exact guy they yep. have not had for long stretches this is this guy that you feel pretty confident with is going to feel confident getting to the rim can make the right reads. And to the point where I was, I mean, going back to that Toronto game, him not closing that game was like totally flabbergasted me. And when they said it wasn't a conditioning issue, I just nearly passed out. I like, (laughs) I just, I just couldn't believe he was the one guy that kind of needed late to kind of try to be able to just score and to not bring him in was just a total joke. So I've been really, I've really liked what I've seen from both those two guys. The Drummond thing, I mean, this is kind of the Andre Drummond experience, right? It's It looks good at times. There's going to be some matchups where it looks like he's going to pull down 18 rebounds. There's going to be other matchups where it looks like you wonder why he got more than five minutes on the court. That was kind of like what happened with Miami the other night. And so I think you need to pick and choose your spots with him, which is basically the situation with all their bigs. So in terms of being impressive, you know, how impressed I am, I mean, the Curry thing was great. I, the Dragic thing might just prove to be a godsend if, like, down the stretch to be able to have him to actually play and do some on-ball creation. And then Drummond things like, I just more, I see him as like a you know, baseball reference. He's more of an innings eater at this point. Like he just, he's there to just kind of stand around as a big body. If he wants to catch some lobs, he's a great rebounder. Obviously they needed that, but uh, like kind of what you see is what you get. It's like every time everyone, anyone gets a little bit excited about Andre Drummond, they just watch him for like three more games and yep. then the excitement kind of wears off. So <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of where I am with those guys. 
Yeah, that's the case with him. I mean, what was it? The Bucks game, he played really well. And then the following Raptors game, he had like multiple fouls in the first quarter, like yeah. right off rip. And it's like Drummond's just kind of hot and cold. He's matchup dependent. And it's like in some of the matchups, you think he'd have success in the boards like last night against the Heat who were playing super small. I think he finished with like under five rebounds. So it's like, eh. you know, he kind of gave you that fake having that fake hype early on where it was like, oh shit, maybe he finally changed and like he's going to be an impactful player. There's still a chance that could happen, see what happens. But I agree about Seth. I think I'm really excited to see how he can complement, you know, Kyrie and KD and that level of creation he can provide. Also, I think his passing has been impressive. A couple passes he's made so far as a net. I honestly didn't know he was like capable of doing that. And like you said with Goran, that's the thing that's popped up to me. Like he's able to get rim pressure. That's just something they haven't really had. Somebody can drive the lane. Yeah, his finishing is a little bit rusty, but it's still crafty and probably better than a lot of the other nets in terms of like bidding to the rim and finishing. So I'm pretty happy with all the guys. And then we still have Ben and we got to see what Ben can do and how he can fit. And that's going to obviously be the biggest factor in terms of the success for this season and potentially the success for the next couple seasons. So I think the guys have overachieved, like you mentioned, other than Drummond. But even in some of the incidents, like Drummond's either overachieved or drastically underachieved. Yeah, I mean, Drummond is a backup big. So he's as Drummond. A guy, yeah, as a guy on a backup big vet minimum contract, I'm pretty goddamn happy with the production that he's given. And, you know, that Milwaukee Bucks win was a lot of it was because of some pretty fantastic yeah. plays that he had. And for that alone, you know, it's almost worth it in, in a lot of respects. And, Given, you know, just having the body there against an Embiid in the postseason, possibly against the Bucks and, and Giannis. Against you know, Giannis. Just, like, I thought his defense yeah. against Giannis was good. Really? And that's good enough for you to be like, yeah, he'll help us win this series against the Bucks. Yep. And that makes the acquisition worthy. That makes him worth a roster spot and, like, worth getting playing time if he can help you beat arguably the best team in the East. Oh, definitely. And I think that Doug mentioned about, you know, Goran Dragic and his handle, his spryness and his ability to, to get blow by defenders. I remember reading, you know, just trying to like get an understanding of Goran Dragic's game from, you know, other people and outsiders. And that was the number one thing that I think a lot of people were worried about. What is he going to look like with the ball in his hands? Is he still going to be able to collapse defenses? How is he going to look like with his rim pressure? And, you know, for a guy, I think that he's just, and I think also I like him as, you know, an, an external locker room presence. You know, there's, the Nets have needed, you know, a sense of accountability and an extra leadership, you know, another veteran sort of presence that, you know, Jeff Green sort of provided. You know, Patty's sort of the, the positive vibes guy. Goran seems to be a bit more level-headed and, and objective. It's just like, no, we were shit. We need to be better. Yeah. And then, you know, Katie, you know, does that a lot of the time as well. And I just, and obviously, because the Nets coaching has, you know, been iffy to say the least, having a guy like Goran Dragic be a, a coach out there on the court, you know, and a, and a coach behind the scenes, you know, apparently he was the guy providing all the scouting reports about the Miami Heat, which is probably why they played so well in that first half. It's I, I think that the the intangible things, and you know, Andre Drummond seems to be a fun guy, and Seth is just you know the ultimate guy that just fits in you know, the the last puzzle piece that you want uh, on a championship sort of contending sort of team. So it's all positive, and and I guess uh, it sort of leads me to sort of just general talk about the rotation and and five man lineups, you know. What do you want to see from from the Nets and heading towards the end of the regular season, Doug? Is it more clacks? Is it obviously you know we talked about Ben Simmons and such? But is it you know less Andre Drummond and you know a bit more clacks in LA? Uh, what what is it in terms of the the five man combinations or two man combinations or just in general the, this rotation that the Nets you you want to see from them? Well, I think one I want to see, and this has been, they've been a little slow on the uptake and just like making good personnel decisions a little quicker on, on recognizing what works. Cause now they have such a unique 
they just have everyone is like this weird archetype of player where you just have to that like there's very little wiggle room with the way the Nets can coach now. Like they have to get it right and they have to get it right pretty quickly with the combinations based on different teams. And they have to be willing to just kind of go away from it if it's not working. So that's the first thing. That's just like a high level coaching thing. I think the second piece is like one, you mentioned Bruce Brown. He's definitely played his way back into like an every, like a higher minutes guy at this point. He doesn't take many threes, but you know, he's up and over like 35% at this point. And that's just enough. Like that's the, that's the high watermark of kind of where he needs to be to probably stay on the court for longer stretches. If he can just, just make enough, right? Like just, just keep the defense honest enough where they can't just stick either nobody on him or not even worry about closing out. And he's been able to do that. So that's actually been a really good sign after that. Um, the the combinations really are probably just all KD Simmons and Kyrie dependent. Like I will say, for as infuriating as he is, James Johnson is just in the exact wrong spot right now with like his skill set because he is a guy that I think actually has some value here for this team. It looks absolutely horrible a lot of time because. I, I use the word like they allow him to like explore the studio space too much. Like just get the like he does not need to be dribbling. Like he does not need to take end of shot clock shots. But he's tough as hell. And when you play with three other guys that can score, or even four other guys that can score, I think he, actually his thing looks a lot looks a lot better. It's looked horrible because they haven't had those guys, and then he just gets you know way out over his skis on what he wants to do offensively, which is and he's you know, a bad offensive player. <laughs> like I just don't, there's no other way to put it. He's a bad offensive player that thinks he's a really good offensive player, which is a really deadly combination. But um, <laughs> I think a guy like him actually has a unique role here later in the season and come playoff time because he's got a body size that they don't really have other, other and, and, a, and a weird confidence that I think actually plays. So I know people want to hate on him. It's really tough to watch. I get it. But in terms of combinations, I think as they get healthier, especially around the unique, like the apex, you know, offensive weapons that they have, I think his skill set actually starts to tr- fold in a lot better. So that's kind of one I want to watch for later on. I'm kind of over some of these bigs. Like there's going to be a few matchups where it works. Most of it's not going to. Um, but he's a guy I actually think that Nets fans are probably pretty down on, rightfully so. But I think it will look better when the offense, specifically when all the offense comes back onto the onto the court. When he becomes the fifth option on offense and he has a lot of easy looks and opportunities to just make the easy read, I think that's when he can be successful. Yep. Like when he's on the court and you're asking him to make plays, like he's just not that good. He's never been that good. That's never been his game. And I think my biggest concern with James Johnson, I will say though, is his age because it does seem from like game to game, there's games where he looks spry, like that Raptors game. Like he threw down three dunks. His last dunk, like he literally threw down a poster. And then the game before that, he got stuffed from the rim on a reverse layup. Like I I really don't understand. And even last night against the Heat, like he looked a little bit gas. Like I don't know conditioning wise, I think in a smaller role. That's always been my thing with James Johnson. Like when his minutes are down and he's playing an easier role, I think he'd be more effective. I mean, Jack, you already know the answer to this question for me. I want to see more Nick Claxton. I think Claxton's a guy you just need to play because there's just potential there. And I think the heat last night was a perfect example of like, you need to be able to switch. He's your only switchable big, at least until you have Ben Simmons or at least you have another option. And I think if you're going to play all these offensive minded players, especially ones that are liabilities, like we love Gorn, we love Seth. They're not great defensive players. You need to have somebody else on the court that can clean up mistakes. 
And obviously Ben can be one of those guys. KD can be one of those guys. I think Clax can be one of those guys. And the way he's played in his last few matchups, it seems like he's okay doing the dirty work. And I know there's liabilities for him offensively, but if you have enough offensive pop, I think there's an opportunity to get the best out of Clax. He's matchup dependent, and Miami is such a good matchup for him that it was shocking that he wasn't out there more. Yeah, it was just that, like, you know, let's watch LaMarcus get beat in every dribble handoff. Uh, let's put Andre Drummond in. <laughs> let, let him get so, beat by all the dribble handoffs. Just <laughs> let's make it as easy as possible for the Heat. And then, wait, let's put Kevin Durant on BAM, but we're going to keep LaMarcus in the game, and we're going to have him try to defend Caleb Martin and run through screens. Like, honestly, I could talk about yesterday's game for another hour because that's probably the most insane coaching I've, I've seen from the Nets in a while, and the coaching staff has been bad this season. But yesterday was just like a whole different level. I think with LeBron, just real quick on Aldridge, I think like the idea that they had, it was, it was horrible. I'm, I'm totally with you. Like where they just spread it out and got back cut to death and, you know, just, and, you know, play bam high and then just have everyone just run a layup line for multiple possessions is the exact problem. I think they thought they could kind of solve some of the zone issues with his ability to kind of sneak his way into yep. the mid range. He just ended up missing most of those shots. I mean, he went one for four. They rimmed out. They were actually good looks. I think that was the idea. I still wouldn't have done it, but I was just trying to put myself in the shoes of why is this still happening? And like yep. specifically against the zone, which they're getting not like seemingly nothing against. I think they thought he could, they could work a, a situation where this one exact thing that he can do, which is pull up from multiple places in the mid range was going to work. It just didn't work. And so I don't know. And I thought, it didn't I, work. And then you take him out. You know what I mean? And I think exactly. also there was points where like, there was like confusion from the team because both LaMarcus and Kevin Durant were trying to flash to the same elbow where it's like on one possession, LaMarcus go stand in the corner or KD, you know, you're never telling KD to stand in the corner when it's for LaMarcus Aldridge. So it's just like, I just, there was just a lot of confusion in the way to attack the zone. And like you said, that, that idea made sense. But if that's the idea, like why wasn't it communicated a little bit better in terms of the players and, and some of it, like I said, most of the time I said on the podcast yesterday, like players lose the game coaching yesterday had a pretty big impact on that though. No, definitely. And look, I think that Clax is also an amazing, he was amazing against the Atlanta Hawks, his defense in that game. So if the Nets were to somehow fall to, you know, wherever they and they happened to face the Atlanta Hawks, you know, he was awesome on Trey Young on a, on a few possessions and just switching everything with him, KD and James Johnson at times. It's just like the net, like Doug sort of said, the Nets just need to be, and I've said this as well, the Nets need to be just more proactive and go, okay, yep. we have an advantage here. Clax is an amazing switch defender and you have him and KD James Johnson, Kyrie Irving, and Seth Curry switch everything, and then and just make it. And Kyrie can, you know, be has been pesky enough defensively as well, and his conditioning is amazing. Seth's probably the the main liability there, so maybe you got to figure some things out. But it's just like the Nets have a lot of guys that do work, and James Johnson was incredible against the Bucks. I don't think he gets enough credit for some of the defense that he played on Giannis. Oh, yeah, some of his, that was the his other one. Yeah, yeah, he's even he's tough. He, obviously, he had his inconsistencies in that game as well. But, like, he's a good Giannis matchup. And he had that insane block at the end of the game, which was I, – I think he was, like, chirping towards the coaching stuff and Steve Nash about, like, you know, the fact that he was switched off of Giannis um, and that was sort of, you know, throwing different uh, matchups on him. So it's just like, okay, surely by now the Nets coaching staff and everyone behind the scenes should know. Like, it shouldn't take – you know, me or Doug or Adam or Nick or, or putting out a tweet and saying, these two-man combinations are plus 12 in 40 minutes or whatever. Maybe you should play Clax and LaMarcus Aldridge a little bit more. Or, jo or James Johnson, Clax and, and, and LaMarcus Aldridge for like five or six minutes and until it stops working, you throw KD there for James Johnson or whatever. It's just like, there's ways that we know it works. Like, surely they should know as well. And there's some things that I think obviously don't work. 
Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge as a, a pairing in the front court. It didn't work last season. We saw for a couple games. Didn't work this season. I think there's at times they just go to things and it's like, I don't know if it's, hey, maybe we're trying to get these veterans some more minutes or what. But it just seems like too many times things are obvious. And like I've said on numerous podcasts, like I'm not smarter than an NBA head coach, but at times it just seems kind of crazy. No, it is. It is insane. A lot. And, and weirdly enough to, to make the argument for Andre Drummond, you know, I've got a lot of people and, and with Seth Curry, I put this in, in the tweet that I put out. It was shocking to me as well, the fact that he's plus 14.7 since he's been a Brooklyn net. Again, only 149 minutes, which is the 97th percentile. The only player better is Seth Curry, who's in the 99th percentile, plus 23.1 via cleaning the glass. It is an insane stat, obviously. A very, very small sample size when you take it all into consideration. And, and Kevin Durant, funnily enough, is plus 10 uh, 90 in the 91st percentile as well. So it's By the just way, a, like, lot of the, a lot of that Drummond positivity came from that Bucks game. Like, he was... Yeah. They, they, they crushed his minutes. He was plus 20 or something like that in that game. So, um, a lot... In that of, Kings game, he was really good, too. And that's they yep. won that by double digits. Yep, definitely. Uh, we've covered a lot. And it's good to talk about a bit the basketball sort of stuff as well, because... You know, we start with the the rumory stuff and the injuries and everything that is ancillary that we've probably heard on the awesome Twitter spaces. Probably, I don't know how those guys do like four hours at a time <laughs> discussing the same. Let's, thing. Let's, I, I say it's the Lord's work, man. I get it. I've got in there a couple of times. I'm like, these guys are just doing the, that's the absolute heavy lift of those spaces. Those things will go. You can go through three meals and it's still going. Like it's, yeah. it's pretty amazing. You go to bed, you wake up, and the spaces are still totally, going. still rising, and with the same energy. I, I just, I'll never, I'll never know how they do it. It's just a real, real kudos to it. It's like Shut an up. anchorman where they have like the news station that's constantly running twenty four seven. That's net spaces. Yeah, it's just the same guys. It's a crazy. <laughs> there's, I, it's amazing. I really, I'm. Not, it sounds like I'm kidding. I'm really not. It's like that's a, that's a, that's a talk show. You're a talk show call in radio, you know, worker at that point, and like, and they do a great job. It's it's, it's a really testament. Yeah, Nets fans are spoiled for content, whether it's Locked On, Glue Guys, us. You know, so many podcasts, so many spaces, so many avenues to consume some Nets content out there. Obviously, Matt Brooks' podcast as well on the Blue Wire Network. Doug, was there anything else? Obviously, we've taken up plenty of time, and we appreciate it. We could go for a lot longer. Anything else you wanted to throw in there about the Nets? Any predictions, any hot takes, you know? Obviously, make sure you stay tuned and subscribe to the Locked On feed as well because this is going to pop there. We love the crossovers. We love just talking about Nets with people that are smarter than me, and Doug is certainly ah, No way. <laughs> no, this has been great. I, like I said, once it starts flowing, I can do this. We could have done this for multiple hours, I think. That, that, that's where we might go as long up. as Batman. <laughs> <laughs> three hours, man. Yeah, that's uh, didn't, I'll say, that, uh, just like Batman, that did not feel like three hours. I saw that today. It, didn't, it was three hours, but you wouldn't really have known it. All I want to see from the Nets, I think, going – is and I think that the the Heat game was a good example of it. That they just and we because we spent a lot of time talking about these bigs. They actually just need to go small. Like they have to just they have to embrace these small lineups more and and sort of in a way that might feel uncomfortable at times, especially if they're playing, you know, just teams that are even a lot bigger. Miami wasn't that the other night, but we saw it so so readily. It was like the second they went small when they took Aldridge out and put Goran back into the game, they almost won. They were yeah. down nine points when that happened, and they almost won specifically because that is the exact way that you just – and I know they were playing from behind, so there's a little sense of urgency and all this other stuff. But playing small with Durant at the five like that is just such a mind-bender for other teams to be able to kind of contend with. And now you just swap out – I mean, Dragic for Kyrie or something like that, yeah. right? Like, Which is a, such a massive upgrade or, you know, 
um, or, or Curry or whoever else really at that point, or Bruce Brown. I mean, they, need, yeah. they actually need his defense a little more. But like playing those small lineups, I think as the stretch run goes, and they just have so many bigs that it's such a problem, but just from a minute standpoint, but I really hope that they just kind of embrace this and just say, hey, look, we are in do or die mode here. We cannot keep experimenting with what, you know, with especially when we're closing about what's going to work. We just have to out offense you at this point based on the roster construction. And like I said, they did it 90. They do that 90 seconds before they win the game. Like if Dragic comes in at like the, you know, four minute mark or whatever it was instead of the, two, I'm, I, I just had it in front of me. It was something like that. 90, yep. 90 more seconds of that lineup. And I think they would have won. So I think I'm just hoping to see a lot more small ball stuff and just kind of get weird with it that way and just really take it to other teams and make them make the adjustment instead of you late. Yeah, I mean, that's when they were the most successful last year. When they went small, they leaned into what worked. And I think that's the same thing. Like, their best players are either Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, and then it's mostly guards. Like, and the bigs aren't as versatile. There's a lot of matchup-dependent stuff there. That's something I advocated for. The second Steve Nash said we're a defensive team. I said, no, we are an yeah. offensive team and you need to lean into that. And that's been, I think one of the bigger issues for this team. Some of it's been injuries, but like the offensive firepower is still here. Even with, you know, the guys being out, like you still have elite shooting, like Patty Mills and Seth Curry, both on the same team, you have two 40% three point shooters. And then you have the stars. So like, I love to see that as well. I hope that's what Steve Nash elects to do. And I think that style suits him best as a coach as well. Yeah, and I think it, it suits him best because it allows him to be a bit more sort of just throw the reins out there and, and be a bit more creative. He's one of the best. Offensive he's an offensive-minded player. player. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of the best individual offensive players that we have ever seen. So it allows him to you know hone into that a little bit. And I think that I'm you know obviously looking forward to that as well. I'm just looking forward to seeing you know hopefully the availability concerns that we've, we've spoken about get alleviated at least for like a couple of games. Seeing Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, Seth Curry. Nick Claxton, whoever else is going to be, or Bruce Brown, whoever else it might be, you know, seeing the Nets at their best. We've seen it so sparingly over the past 18 months, and it's just like the basketball gods hate us. I don't know what we've done, whether we're like we signed a deal with the devil and you know we, we got all the, the bad karma, all the bad juju. But the if it actually does happen this year, watch out because the Nets you – know, the Nets just have so much talent and a lot of their role players are starting to play a, a lot yeah. better. We've spoken about extensively about Goran Dragic, you know, Klax is, is playing a, a little bit better here and there. James Johnson on the right line. Actually. You know, Marcus Aldridge has been an incredible mid-range shooter. Cam Thomas that we haven't even mentioned is starting to continue to play really solid basketball. So it's just like, let us be healthy basketball gods. I'm praying to you with every, if you want me to convert to whatever religion that you need me to allow this Nets team to be healthy, just please allow it because <laughs> I, I, I think we deserve it as Nets fans. You know, Doug's doing our podcast day after day after day. Nick's, Nick and I are doing solo pods for everyone that subscribes to the Brooklyn Buzz. Surely at least allow us three, and obviously Adam as well, to just get <laughs> one game of this at the very, very least, and, and maybe a few more. I won't be able to do an everyday podcast if they don't make the playoffs. I'll just have to, like, you'll have to go find me somewhere. I just, I, I, this, this is why I need it more than anything. Like, just the daily podcast, because we're going to still still roll it daily, um, even if they don't make the playoffs. But I will be in such a bad state of mind that I just need, I, I'm with you, man. I, like, I, whatever, whatever God you just prayed to, just like, you know, throw me in for a, for a round two on that because, <laughs> like, I, I definitely need it. They have to make the playoffs this year. I won't be able to, I'm not sure if I'll mentally or emotionally be able to stand it if they don't. 
Yeah, it would be crazy. I don't even want to really think about that. And like, I know we didn't get to touch on this topic, but it, it felt like at diff- different points of this year, it was like even painful to do the podcast when you had back to back blowout losses. It's just like, what do I talk about? Especially if you're going solo. It's just like, God, like Cam didn't even have a big game to break it down. Like, well, I don't even know why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. And that's where that's where like sort of like the edict to go do it every day like helps to like, OK, well, that's going to get me here because I will we'll find some kind of thread to pull on. But I, I think I'm with you. I'm kind of done with pulling on threads. I, it's just, it just needs to, it needs to just be, it just needs to be better. We deserve it. I'm with you, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Jack like, yeah. it's just like, we, we deserve it. We deserve better than this. We deserve entire. We dealt time. with 12 and 70 for a reason, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, with, with you guys have had much more pain than me. Obviously, I've probably jumped on a little bit later than you. But, Doug, this has been a heap of fun. Can't wait to do this again already with you, my friend. Where can the people find you? Oh, uh, yeah. Doug Norrie at Twitter um, and uh, Locked on Nets with Adam and I, Adam Armbrecht and I. Um, we're going every day, too. Uh, this has been awesome. Uh, like I said, I could we'll do a home and home on this one, too, maybe in a couple of weeks to get you you guys on um, because, yeah, this works. I could like I talk Nets all day. I think I'm, I'm in that situation in my life. So, yeah, Doug Norrie <laughs> on Twitter, Locked on Nets. Um, really appreciate you guys. Yeah, Doug, really appreciate you hopping on, talking to us for an hour. Jack, always fun talking Nets with you. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Check the buzz and Locked on Nets on all streaming platforms. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.